Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. I want to launch out tonight from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter. Are you ready to receive the engrafted Word of God, which is able to save your soul? You're ready. All right, so be drawn on the Word of God. Thank God for the kingdom. Thank God for the gospel of the kingdom. You know the word gospel means good news. So we have good news about the kingdom of God. And that's how Jesus said, he said, uh, he said, this is the gospel of the kingdom. And so in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse number 13, the word says this, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked him this question, which we all need to answer. He said to them, but who do you say? But who do you say that I am? Of the 12 disciples, one answered Peter and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered Peter and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. God's in the construction business. God cares about you right now. God cares about your life. God cares about your destiny. Uh, he's interested and considers you valuable, and he wants to build your life. So he said, on this rock, the rock of revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. That doesn't mean that the gates of hell shall not try to attack you. But they will not prevail. Verse 19 is a key verse for your life. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The New Living Translation says, verse 19, like this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Uh, some people say that God is in control. If God's in control of everything, then he's not doing a very good job. The one thing God is in control of is his word. And he'll always watch over his word to perform it. But he said, I'm giving you the keys. Notice that's right now. He wants to give you keys. What are keys? Keys have power to open and shut. I have, I have a, a key to this church. I can come in the building. You know, anytime I like, I have the power to open the building or to lock the building. 
But really, it metaphorically denotes power and authority. Because when you have keys of something, you have the power and the authority to open it or shut it. So we're going to talk about one of the keys of the kingdom tonight. But there's many keys in the kingdom that God wants to give you or has given you authority. The question is, are you exercising the authority? Are you exercising the power that he's given you? He came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. But he said, it's in your, it's in your power of choice. Your life is composed of your choices, constructed by your words, and revealed by your character. Your life is composed of your choices, constructed by your words, and revealed by your character. There's a key of forgiveness in the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom is now. Pastor Earl says it over and over in redundance, repetitively, so that it sinks in. This is more than just about going to heaven. It's a reality that if you're to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But God is very interested in what's going on in the earth. And he's put us here as his children, his sons and daughters with a relationship right now with him to impact and to influence planet earth. And he's given us keys to have a successful life. But it's in your power of choice, in your words, and revealed by your character whether you're going to fulfill and live out his plan for your life. So there's a key of forgiveness. There's a key of healing, which we're setting ourselves up for at the end of service to actually lay hands and anoint people with oil according to the word of God uh, because there's been a virus going around. A bug. And, you know, it's causing some people to have throw up, some to have diarrhea. Uh, but we're going to open the altar at the end of service, and we're going to lay hands on you if you are dealing with any symptoms or anybody in your family is dealing with, your, with symptoms, all right? And it's, it's within your authority, though. I want to stress this before we move on. It's your power of choice constructed by your words, revealed by your character, Um, I can't come into your household and exercise authority for you. When the pandemic hit the the, the earth, you know, a few years back, a couple years back, um, we can't curse COVID off the planet. That's unscriptural. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says the devil is the God of this world. We know that he comes to steal, kill and destroy. What I can believe is that Jesus gave me a key, authority and power. Moses said it this way in Psalms 91. I may see a thousand fall to my left, 10,000 to my right, but I have the key of authority that it's not going to come in my household. So that's where the word of God has the power to be released in your life. That's where God has control over his word, where you exercise faith with these keys. So there's a, there's a key of healing. There's a key of joy. You know, if you're down, if you're discouraged, Psalm 61 says to put on a, uh, for a garment of heaviness, to put on a spirit of praise. There's an antidote to depression. There's an antidote to discouragement, and it's called opening your mouth and praising the Lord. Well, I don't feel like praising. Well, then you're never going to get through. Because we don't live by how we uh, feel. We live by faith. Romans 1.17 says the just shall live by faith. 
There's peace. He's Jehovah Shalom. That means I live an undisturbed life. Calm. Tranquil. Nothing moves me. Nothing annoys me. The other day, I was telling my wife this. It feels like I don't know if I'm driving slower. And everybody else is driving faster. Some of you that have been around for a while, you know I set my cruise control when it worked on US-1 just so I was doing 45. I still do 45 without cruise control. But I look down, I'm coming out of our neighborhood, and this has happened three or four days in a row, and I'm like, why are these people riding my tail? I'm, I'm look, it's 30, I'm doing 30. About the fourth day of this, I'm like, man, people are in a rush these days, but I'm gonna exercise authority. I'm not gonna get in my flesh, right? Tell them they're number one. But this guy was on my tail. You know what I did is I pulled over to the side of the road, let him fly by me. Now, some people, that could be scary because he's going to get on my tail. I, I went like 20 miles an hour, let him get way out in the front row, let him know I'm not mad with you. And I prayed for him. Lord, he's in a rush to get somewhere. Uh, so protect him. I don't know if he's saved or not, uh, but we need to get the word to him if he's not. If he is saved, he needs to repent. That's another key in the kingdom. There's a key of righteousness. There's a key of purpose and destiny. So there's many keys in the kingdom, authority and power that God has given us. But specifically tonight, I want to talk about what's under your nose, which is your mouth and your confession. There's four types of confession mentioned in the New Testament. So I want to cover the four of these and then really hone in on one, all right? Thank God for the anointing. Number one, there's a confession of lordship, or what we would call the new birth. And then you can find this in the word of God in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. And it reads this way, that if you confess with your, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes under righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So this is a type of confession in the New Testament where you're saying, man, I, I was a sinner, but I heard about the good news of the kingdom. I heard about the redemption that Jesus paid for, his blood on the mercy seat. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he who knew no sin became what? Sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So confession of lordship just doesn't happen to happen at the altar. Like for me in 1997, I still confess him as Lord today. But there was a beginning of my relationship with him when I said I am a sinner, I need salvation. I recognize and acknowledge it that Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. So there's a confession of lordship. The second type of confession is what we call confession of sins. Confession of sins. And if you look at Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 5 through 6, this is talking about John the Baptist with the children of Israel. It said, then Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. 
They were baptized by him in the Jordan. They were confessing their sins. But to bring it even home closer to us, because we'll give you an, an epistle or a letter written to the church, the New Testament church. In 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, it says, if we confess our sins, if, now this is written to the church, those that have already confessed that Jesus is Lord and have entered into a relationship with him. And guess what? God has a standard in his word. There's conduct. There's behavior that's pleasing to him. Then there can be conduct or behavior that's displeasing to him. And anything outside of the way he says to do it is sin. The good news of the kingdom, if you miss the mark, because that's what sin means, is to miss the mark, then you can confess your sins. Now, every sin prior to Lordship is forgiven like that. But the moment you get born again, the Holy Ghost will start talking to you. There's, listen, there's sins of commission, sins where it's an action, you know, whether it be uh, drugs. We're talking about confession, you know, cussing somebody out real good. Was well, that the Christian thing to do? No. You know, adultery, pornography, these are sins of commission. But there's also sins of omission, which means you know what to do, but you're not doing it. All right. And both of these can be repented of. If we confess our sins, then guess what? He is faithful and just to forgive us. Let me say it again. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Sometimes in our premarital counselors, we haven't done this for a while. When Angie and I do premarital counseling, it's been a long time. Uh, but everybody remember Etch-A-Sketch? Anybody play with Etch-A-Sketch when they were a kid? Anybody play with Etch-A-Sketch now? <laughs> Steve. <laughs> but you know how you can make all those lines on you, try to, you know, do different uh, diagrams or whatever. But you, if you want to get rid of everything, what do you do? You shake it and you get a what? A clean slate. And so when your life gets squiggly and you're out of relationship with God, guess what? The blood of Jesus gives you that etch-a-sketch moment. Psalms 103 says he'll remove uh, your trespass as far as from the east is to the west. But... You, Here's your responsibility in the relationship is to confess it. Unconfessed sin is unforgiven sin. So how, how, I just feel distant from God. Is there anything in your life that's hindering you from your relationship with him? Just search your heart. If there's anything that's there, then guess what? Then you can do 1 John 1, 9. You can confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. From all unrighteousness. So that's the second confession, the confession of sins. The third type of confession found in the New Testament. Everybody put your seatbelts on. We're going to the uh, negative side of it, okay? But we're going to end on the positive. It's what we call negative confession, or we could call it this way, murmuring, complaining, griping, 
bad mouthing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5, we'll read through verse number 11. Now, this is a reference that Paul wrote about to the church at Corinth in the New Testament, but he was referring back to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And he was using them as an example. And this is a powerful verse of Scripture if you get a hold of it. Because Paul identifies five things in the children of Israel's journeys that kept them out of God's best. You know, they were in Egypt when God raised up Moses. They were in bondage in Egypt, slaves, right? With Pharaoh, their taskmaster. And the New Testament reality is is when you were apart from Christ, uh, Pharaoh represents to us the devil and you're enslaved to him. And you live a life of what I call, it's a cup with holes in it. You're always trying to fill it up, but you feel empty because everything you do is insatiable. Without Christ, there's no satisfaction. There's no real joy. There could be happiness, but that's only based on happenings. But there's true joy found in the kingdom of God. And so Paul lists five things that these, the children of Israel did that kept them out of God's best. So God's bringing them out of Egypt. We know the story that he brings them through the wilderness, but the final destination he want to get them to, if you, if you read and track the story, is to Canaan land. So he, God always brings you out of something to bring you into something is the principle. He brings you out of a life of sin into righteousness, but he's got a plan, a destiny, and a purpose for you, and it's up to your power of choice constructed by your words, revealed by your character, if you're going to stay on point and plan to get God's best for your life. Canaan land in the New Testament represents God's maximized potential for your life. You want a Canaan land marriage. You want a Canaan land job. You want Canaan land relationships. You want a Canaan land church. Right? But he said there's five reasons why the children of Israel left Egypt. It was an 11-day journey to get to Canaan land. But they spent 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around because of five things. So let's read what they are. Verse 5 says, but with many of them, God was not well pleased with many of them. Thank God he was pleased with some. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. God doesn't want to see your life overthrown in the wilderness. He's got a better life for you. Now, these things were our examples to the intent. Number one, this is the first thing that we shouldn't lust after evil things as they lusted. Number two, that we should be idolaters as some as as them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink. They rose up to play. Number three, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000 Number four, don't let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and they were destroyed of the serpents. And the fifth thing is what we call negative confession. Neither murmur you as some of them also murmured. One translation says complain. Don't complain as they complain. And they were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, all these things happen unto them for our uh, for our example. And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the whole world are come. Now let's jump back to Numbers 13 and see what caused Paul by the Holy Spirit to write about murmuring. So Numbers 13, 
I'm going to read a large uh, portion of this chapter, except for the names that are hard to pronounce. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. So they're coming out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. And God said, guess what? I want to send men to go spy out where I want you to be. So he took children from each of the tribe of their fathers, one leader among them. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, verses 4 through 15 name all 12 of the leaders from representing the 12 tribes that Moses was sending to spy out Canaan land. Verse number 16, it says, These are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Joshua the son of Nun, or Hosea the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses said to them, Spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, Go up to the way into the south and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are a forest there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up in spite of the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron and these other places. And they came to the valley Eskal, verse 23, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. One cluster of grapes. They carried it between them on a pole. So that's telling me this was a large. Now, I just bought some grapes. They were $2.49 a pound from Publix, and I carried it myself. But if it takes two people on a pole to carry grapes, there was some production going on, some fruitfulness, right? And they also brought some pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskal because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now you think they would be excited to see this huge thing of grapes, right? Then they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. Everybody say milk and honey. Milk. How does God want you to drink your coffee? <laughs> Sorry. That was my joke. And Pastor Earl's not even here to laugh at it. Pastor Earl drinks his coffee black. And I'm always trying to find scripture that says that. We need to put some sweetener in it. But this is land with milk and honey. Now, right there, the New Testament parallel, this is found in John 10.10. 10. I'm going to go back to numbers in just a second. But in John 10.10, 10, you all know this verse. It says, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But God came to give you life and to give it to you 
more abundantly. The New Living Translation says this, uh, the thief's purpose is steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Let's read what the Amplified says of John 10, 10. It said, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in the abundance to the full till it overflows. Your life in Christ should be so good that people miss you when you're gone. Because it overflows. See, Egypt represents survival. The wilderness represents success. But Canaan land represents a life of significance. Where you live life so well that it overflows. It's just not about me. Because I'm getting wet just like a hose does. But it's pouring out because David said it this way. My my cup overflows, right? So your marriage should be so good that it's an example, an overflow to others. An inspiration to exercise the keys to have that kind of success. Because God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for one, he'll do it for all. It's just, it's in the power of your choice. Constructed by your words, revealed by your character. So back to Numbers 13, he said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. These leaders came back with the report. And this is its fruit. Now listen to verse 28. Nevertheless. We could say, but. Don't let your but. Get in the way of God's promises. Because that's a conjunction that cancels out everything that was previously said. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and, and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of, the, of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then one person, Caleb, quieted the people because they're freaking out, right? They're like, we can't do this. Caleb quieted the people. He said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able. We are not able. Have you ever told yourself that before? I am not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Verse 32, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report. One translation says an evil report for the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. They were like giants, descendants of Anak uh, that came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were uh, we in their sight. So this is what a negative confession is. God, we have to trust his word. Let me say this way. We should trust his word and speak his word no matter what the circumstances looks like. There was a promise to Israel that God was going to deliver them and bring them into Canaan land. They failed to keep that confession, though, and they believed the evil report and spoke 
the evil report. What they really spoke was doubt and disbelief. They really didn't believe that God could use them to overcome some major obstacles in their lives. So that's the third kind of confession, the negative confession, and that's murmuring. That's complaining. Hallelujah. That would be like saying multiple things. Why is my spouse like this? She's a pain in the neck. This one really irks me. That's my old lady. I don't want an old lady. I want a fresh, thriving, thrive. You want to get up here and dance? Thrive. The moonwalk. Lady. I don't want an old lady. Right? That could be like why I hate my job. The people are difficult to get along with. What did God put you there? Right? You were excited about it when you got the job. You were excited about it when you got married. <laughs> but once the honeymoon over is over and all the smoke and mirrors, there's nothing but character left. God didn't call you to get married for a good time. He got, uh, called you to get married for a long time. And a good time. Thank you. That's a good confession. Right? Or you could say this. The flu season come around. I always get the flu. Right? Those are negative confessions. Now, does the flu season come? Absolutely. But even though we're in the world, guess what? We're not of the world. We don't have to operate the way that the world operates. Remember, the keys of the kingdom are by the power of choice, and they're constructed by your words, right? We're talking about confessions, one of the keys. You can change your confession and change your results. So this brings us to the fourth type of confession, the confession of faith. The confession of faith. Or we could say a positive confession, but it's just not a secular positive confession. It's a confession of the promises of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 20 says, all the promises of God are yes and amen. That's plural. There's promises. There's just not one promise. There's promises. Psalms 103 says that he has benefits. So there's multiple blessings from God that he wants to flow into our life. But is your mouth lining up with what his word's saying? The word confession means to acknowledge, but it also means to say the same thing. So you're going to sound like what the devil says. You're going to sound like what God says. Right? So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And this is a story of creation. And I'm going to start reading in verse number three. And I'm going to go through verse 26. Genesis chapter one, verse number three, and we'll read through verse 26. Then God, I want you to see this pattern in creation and let it soak down into your spirit. Then God said, let there be, what did God do? He said, 
let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called, or he said, the firmament heaven, and uh, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together the waters he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 11, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself to the earth, and it was so. Then the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields, uh, that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its God kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed him saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters in the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, a cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So you see the pattern. God said it. God saw it. And God said that it was good. God said it. God saw it. And God said that it was good. God said it. God saw it. And God said that it was good. God said it. God saw it. And God said that it was good. God said, let us make man in our image. That means we have the nature and the character of God. And after his likeness, which means we have the function of God. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 says it this way, verse number three, to summarize everything that I just said. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number three says, by faith, by what? Faith, not by feelings. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed or created by what? The word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, we understand that the worlds 
we're framed by the word of God. So if we're made in his image and likeness, which we are, he said it, he saw it. He said that it was good. If he created his world with his mouth, then we're creating our world with our mouth. And what I mean, your everyday activity of life. You can identify where somebody's at real quick if you just get around them and listen to what they're saying. Hallelujah. If you're talking negative, or I'll say this, siding with the devil in a lot of your speech, even a lot of your thoughts, it's going to come out if you're thinking about it. Then you're not going to obtain the benefits and the blessings of God. But if you choose to let your words line up with the word of God, it's going to construct your world. And it's going to be Canaan land on earth. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 14 says this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 14. Seeing that we have a great high priest. Who's our high priest? Who's our high priest? Who's our high priest? Who's our high priest? He's a great high priest. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, which tells me this, that we could let our confession slip. You know, when some people get, first get born again, when I did in 1997, um, you know, I had index cards. I used to write scripture, you know, put them on the mirror, put them on my dash, right? You're constantly confessing them, you know. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed today, right? Now, Angie covered this the other week, you know, don't be a spiritual fruit, uh, fruit loop, right? Um, but, but there is power to your confession, right? How are you doing today? Well, I'm aching. I'm tired. Life is hard. I'm barely getting by, right? We got to hold fast the confession. That word hold fast means to keep carefully and faithfully to retain that confession. There is power in your speech. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those that love it will eat the fruit of it. It's the power of choice. If you want to have death in your life, you can speak death-filled words. It's going to manifest. If you want life, you need to speak faith-filled words. It will manifest. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. Says this, fight the good fight of faith. Listen, that means there's going to be opposition. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be pressure. There's going to be circumstances. We live in a fallen world that, that the devil is running. But thank God we are his ambassadors in this planet to make some influence and some impact for the kingdom of God. So there is going to be pressure. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be difficulties. But God said, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. What's a good fight? It's one that you win. I've never called a, a good fight one that I've lost. I'm very competitive, and I like to win. So a good fight is one that you win. 
Then it says, lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. So even Jesus' reference is what? Keeping a good confession of faith before this authority figure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 13, the Bible says this, we having the same spirit of faith. Say, I have a spirit of faith. Say, I have a spirit of faith. If you got a spirit of faith, your mouth is going to be lining up with what your faith believes. We have the same spirit of faith as according as it is written, I believed, therefore I've spoken. We also believe and therefore we speak. Say it and say it again. Say it and say it again. It's not working. It's working. The word of God will never return void. It will always accomplish what it's sent out to do. 2021, January, my daughter Abigail had her birthday January 7th. We uh, had a Disney trip planned. I think we left on a Monday, right? I think it was a Monday through a Wednesday. She was taking a friend and her sister. Sunday night, Sunday night, my stomach wasn't feeling right. And I um, started throwing up. I could have either went by how I felt or started, started walking by faith. And so I can't remember it's 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, your mind's wondering. First of all, I hate throwing up. It's like the worst, you know. And so it's, it's no fun. But I, I got to get over in faith. So I need to start applying the word. James 1 says this. James chapter 1 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, did God put sickness on me? But in that moment, I had a choice. I said, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Praise the Lord. This is great. I'm going to get through this. I had to start exercising faith. And so um, I think I may have thrown up twice. And I had to start making a confession because I'm thinking I, we're leaving for Disney. I missed church that Sunday. But we're leaving for Disney within 24 hours at that point, And I'm not going to miss a trip with, to celebrate my daughter's birthday, right? So my confession starts from, from laughter and um, thanking God and saying, I got an appetite. Because you know how it is when you throw up, it's, you don't want to eat. And if you don't eat, then you're weak, tired, right? So I said, I, I got an appetite. And what I eat is going to stay down. I think that's part of not wanting to eat either because you don't know if it's going to stay down or not. But I started confessing it. And I, I mean, by I think it was from 2, 3 o'clock to 9. I started eating at 9, some stuff like bananas. Uh, applesauce, and it all stayed down. So I had to fight the good fight of faith. 
And by that night, I was, I was ready. I mean, really throughout that day, I was getting stronger and stronger as the day went on. But we're talking about a, a, a five, six, seven-hour battle. Now, when I was earlier in the faith, you know, I got born again in 1997, we got to grow up. You know, as you give yourself more to the word, there's more word in you. There's more word that will come out. There's quicker, a quicker response time that you can get out of things. And really, it depends on how much word you're putting in you. If you're only eating one hot meal a week, physically, you're going to be pretty cranky, pretty weak, right? But, if, but you feed yourself, right? Same thing spiritually. If you feed yourself spiritually, you're thinking on the right thing, you can get stronger faster, right? And so I, I've looked back over the years. I was just sharing with my girls recently that we really go years at a time with no sickness or no symptoms. Years at a time. Now, occasionally something will show up, but what do we got to do? Fight the good fight of faith. This latest bug that came around that we're going to pray for here in a few minutes. You know, I, I think I got it a few weeks ago. I don't know. It was during April 13th during the men's outdoor event. It could have been just I was playing basketball in the sun for three hours and eating food that I usually don't eat. Shrimp right? Hamburger with enriched buns, right? The white, no good bread, buns, bread, right? Somebody tried to get, what was that, a crawfish? I got to be honest, I threw that. Somebody put my plate, I threw that out. I went over by the fire pit and I was like, I think Bill threw it on my plate. I was just trying to make him feel good. But something hit me, hit me that, that night, you know, and I, I felt it. And um, I, I threw up just a little bit, but I, you know, I, I got on top of it, right? And by, by that afternoon, I was fine. I was same, same thing as, you know, last year. I think it was the f- basketball and the food maybe, but who knows. Whatever it was, it was resolved fast. Hallelujah. But we got to watch what we say is what I'm, what I'm speaking, right? You have power under your... Uh, on your mouth, in your tongue. In uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 23 through 24, says this. For surely I say to you, whoever says this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, whoever said, what are you saying to your mountains? What are you saying to your situations? What is coming out of your mouth? Uh, don't be like, the old little punching bag that had the, the, the sand weight in the bottom of it, you know, you hit it, it come back up. I feel like that's how the devil is with a lot of believers. You know, he hits you, you fall down, you come back up, and you're not saying anything. And he hits you again, you fall back down. It's time to open up our mouth and speak the word of God. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Confession and testimony are synonymous. When you testify about something, you're confessing it. When I say that Jesus is my healer, when I say that Jesus is, 
is my victory. I'm testifying to truth. When I say that Jesus is my provision, I'm testifying that his resources are coming into my life. When I testify that he's my peace, I can have tranquility and calmness. I, could not, I don't have to be annoyed or disturbed. Testimony is the life of faith. Faith demands an expression in testimony. If you want to develop a robust faith, continually testify what God is doing. Let me say it again. If you want to develop a robust faith, continually testify of what the Lord is doing. I want to close with this account in Acts chapter 27 about the Apostle Paul's life. In Acts chapter 27, verse number one, it says, when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship, uh, we put to sea, meaning to sail all along the coast of Asia. And uh, verse three, on the next day when we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated uh, Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go with, with his friends and receive care. Uh, when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, uh, which is off of Sicily, we came to Myra, a city of uh, Lycia. Then the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. Verse 7, we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off the um, Sindus, the wind not permitting us to proceed. We sailed under the shelter of Crete. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, men, now verse 9, listen to this. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. So Paul's a prisoner. They're taking him to, to Rome, right? But he advises them. So you have expert sailors that are navigating this trip, but Paul, by the Spirit of God, verse 10 says, I perceive, what's he saying? I perceive, I sense on the inside. Don't override what you sense on the inside. As many as are led by the Spirit, Romans eight fourteen. these are the sons of of God. If you're spending time in fellowship with God, you're going to, the Bible says you'll know his voice and another you will not follow. Man, if we just listen, we won't have to learn the hard way. So he said, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship then by the things spoken by Paul. See, Paul spoke up boldly what he got in his spirit, but they went with the choice of the captain, right? Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If any, by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening north toward the southwest and northwest in winter there. When the south wind blew softly, 
So listen, there was difficulty, there was opposition, and all of a sudden everything seemed to be going well. But what did Paul say? I perceive there's going to be much disaster and loss if we proceed in this journey. So sometimes not even all the difficult times, but sometimes when things seem just really good, you still got to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying, right? So they went with just the circumstances, and when the wind was blowing softly, they supposed that they obtained their desire. They put out to sea. They sailed close by Crete. But not long, not long after this, a tempestuous headwind arose. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of the island called uh, Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground, uh, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tossed, the next day they, light, they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So they're in the midst of what? A major trial. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So they were in a hopeless position. Verse 21, but after long absence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, listen to his confession. Men, you should have listened to me. And have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So obviously Paul started what? Interceding. He got the key of authority in prayer. And since he was on board, not only was he asking God to spare his life, but he's asking the Lord to spare those on the ship with him. Verse 23 says, for there stood by me. This night, listen to him testify. You want a robust, robust faith? You've got to continually testify about what the Lord is doing. There stood by me this night an angel of God, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. Worship team, you can come. Listen to his testimony. It's the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. It's the God to whom I belong and the God to whom I serve. He said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So we see that Paul had a confession of faith in the middle of a great circumstance. So listen, if there's trials, tests, temptations that come your way, hold fast the confession of your faith. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. 